impact of the congregational singing. And it's nice to look down and see you, Andrew, in the service this morning. God bless you. It's lovely to see you. And I know I speak for the people when I say we've been praying for you. Now, Mr. McIntyre usually reads from Romans at this part of the service. And, uh, well, I'm not going to do that, obviously, but what I would like to do is try and take this opportunity to just read something that I hope will be helpful in, in the message, some, a little bit more, let's say, background reading. So could I ask you to turn to Second Chronicles, please? And the chapter 28, Second Chronicles, and the chapter 28. I'd like to read down to verse 9 and then skip a few verses and go from 16 to the end. We're reading here about a king of Judah called Ahaz, and he will feature today in the sermon. And so this is a little bit of background about the kind of character that King Ahaz was. Second Chronicles and the chapter 28. And the Word of God says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. Uh, and you younger ones remember, that doesn't mean David was his biological father, it means he was back in his ancestry. This man was actually 12 generations from David, but David's referred to as his father. Verse 2, For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images for Balaam. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire. After the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. His, his paganism was very open and public. That's what that means. Verse 5, Wherefore the Lord, his God, delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria, and they smote him and carried away a great multitude of them captives, and brought them to Damascus, the capital of Syria. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who smote him with a great slaughter. Two attacks, two captivities, two disasters. Verse 6, For Pekah the son of Remaliah slew in Judah an hundred and twenty thousand in one day, which were all valiant men because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, slew Messiah, the king's son. And Azrikam, the governor of the house, and Elkanah that was next to the king, and the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and took also away much spoil from them. And brought the spoil to Samaria. 
But a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Obed. And he went out before the host that came to Samaria and said unto them, Behold, because the Lord God of your fathers was wroth with Judah, he hath delivered them into your hand, and ye have slain them in a rage that reacheth up unto heaven. And I'm going to skip now, but you'll forgive me if I just fill you in, because I can't go past that story without making a quick application. This man, Obed, he's in Israel, and Israel is taking Judah captive, and Judah is the favored part of the kingdom. And Obed stands up in the midst of the returning armies and the captives, the fellow Israelites that they've taken prisoner. And he says, yes, okay, God is using us as an instrument against Judah because they're turning against God. But what do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? Taking your own people captive and making them slaves. What on earth are you thinking? And the application is simply this, men and women. No matter how dark the day is, we should never be afraid to say God's truth. No matter what response we think we're going to get. Imagine that. Israel, the wicked kings, the wicked departure, worse than Judah. And this man, a man of God, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that declension, isn't afraid to say, hey, wait a minute. According to God's word, that is wrong. Men and women, be encouraged. Be encouraged in this day and how dark it is. Be encouraged. We can go forward with the word of God. The word of God is still quick and powerful. But I want to focus on Ahaz. So let's go down to verse 16. At that time did King Ahaz send unto the kings of Assyria to help him. For again the Edomites had come and smitten Judah and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the low country and of the south of Judah, and had taken Beth Shemesh and Ajalon and Jedaroth, and Shoko and the villages thereof, and Timnah with the villages thereof, Gimzo also and the villages thereof, and they dwelt there, these Edomites, again taking territory, getting victory. Verse 19, for the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel. Interesting the way he's called king of Israel there. He's really the king of Judah. But of course, it's the Israelite people overall. Judah was brought low because of Ahaz, for he made Judah naked and transgressed sore against the Lord. And Tilgath-Pilneser, king of Assyria, came unto him and distressed him, but strengthened him not. And Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord, and out of the house of the king, and of the princes, and gave it unto the king of Assyria. But he helped him not. And in the time of his distress, this is Ahaz, in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that king, Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them, that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God, and he cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. And he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and he made altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every several city of Judah he made high places to burn incense unto the other gods, and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now the rest of his acts and all of his ways, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him 
in the city, even in Jerusalem. But they brought him not into the sepulcher of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. Amen. May the Lord bless this reading and this historical accurate account of some of Ahaz's deeds. Could I ask Brother Neville to come at this point and make the necessary announcements? Thank you so much. First of all, I want to give everybody a warm welcome. It's lovely to see you along in God's house this morning. You're very welcome. And we just pray the Lord will bless you uh, as he brings, uh, as our brother David brings God's word to us and that our hearts will be spoken to and we'll be encouraged and strengthened uh, as we go on with him. It's lovely to see brother Andrew, as David has mentioned. So I want to welcome you and it's lovely to have you back among us today. I want to welcome our brother David Wilson as well. Uh, Brother David has stepped in at short notice, as he's mentioned, and we're very thankful for that. Um, And uh, the Reverend McIntyre is unable to be here just with his voice. Uh, So do remember him in prayer and ask the Lord that the Lord will touch him and strengthen him up. A preacher needs a voice. That's the one thing they definitely do need. So pray for him that the Lord will uh, undertake for him. But we want to welcome our brother David. Uh, He's no stranger to us. And we just pray the Lord will bless you today, and we do thank you for uh, stepping in at such short notice. Now, remember the meetings through the week. Now, one thing, there is no Bible clubs this week, either in Clarmore or here in the church, uh, just with the uh, half-term holidays. So no Bible clubs this week, uh, so don't be turning up on Wednesday night or Thursday night. On Friday night, or sorry, Wednesday night, of course, there's the uh, midweek prayer meeting and Bible study, so do remember that, please, and get along if you can, at all, to the midweek prayer meeting. And then on Friday night, the young people, they're traveling across to Kesh. Uh, We have a youth council prayer night, so we're going to go across to Kesh for that, and uh, we'll be organizing transport across that. So I'll be in touch with you through the WhatsApp group uh, in terms of the arrangements. So we really encourage you to get along to that, and uh, it's a good uh, time and a good opportunity to, to get together with other young people and to pray and ask for the Lord's help. Uh, now, I do remember the upcoming election. This is the last day to uh, remove your name either from the candidates list or to request a postal vote. So uh, please remember that. And uh, as we think about the election, uh, we are, uh, God willing, hoping to elect eight committee men. So every member will have an opportunity to uh, elect uh, or vote for uh, eight men from the, from the list when that comes around. Mr. McIntyre will explain all of that in more, more detail, but that is, the, that is the intention and that is what we uh, would hope to do, God willing. Uh, do remember the uh, meetings next Lord's Day. And of course, remember the meeting this evening, 7 o'clock, God willing, for the, the gospel uh, meeting this evening, and our brother David will be back this evening to bring God's word. But do remember the meetings then next Lord's Day, in God's will. And uh, Uh, Pray for those, and Lord willing, the Reverend McIntyre will be back with us next Lord's Day. I do remember as well, a committee, uh, there's a meeting uh, now, it's not Monday, uh, tomorrow night, but it's now next Monday night, uh, so it's been moved back a week, Monday the 20th, meeting of session and committee. Uh, Do remember the prayer requests um, that have been sent out uh, for those who are unwell, and of course, do remember this, uh, the people who've been caught up in this 
uh, awful tragedy in, in Turkey and in northern Syria. Um, we were just reflecting on Friday night. The Reverend McIntyre is talking about uh, Timothy from the book of Timothy. And of course, Timothy was in a church in Turkey. That's where that church was, that, where he ministered. And that was a place that was favored with the gospel. Uh, so there's a great need in that land, uh, just with this whole uh, tragedy that's unfolded. So many people affected, so many lives lost. Uh, and do remember, of course, the election that's coming up on the 1st of March. Uh, tonight, uh, at quarter to nine or thereabouts, there's the youth rally over in Ochnaclaw. So young people, uh, be mindful of that. If you want to get across to that, you'll be very welcome. The Reverend uh, Raymond Morrow's given us testimony tonight. So uh, do remember that as well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Neville. Um, appreciate just the opportunity to speak, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Do you actually mean that? And uh, if I look at you too much today, well, I remember, don't be offended, but I remember one preacher that I used to listen to quite regularly talked about looking into the congregation for the amen faces. So if I'm looking at you, it's probably because you're giving me an amen face and you're encouraging me. But it's amazing, too, when sometimes the Lord, what the Lord does is very humbling, I have to say. You look down, and perhaps you think you're making no impact whatsoever. And uh, later you can find out that somebody got something from the Word which you never even really intended. The passage that you read, something jumped out. And so we're thankful to serve the Lord who works in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. Can we... Uh, stand again to sing, please. Hymn uh, 86, um, as the Sunday School join us, we trust. And I, in my memory, I'm not sure I've heard this sung here in the congregation, um, but it, uh, our sister Ingrid has got it to a tune that we're all familiar with. And um, it's again related to the passage that we're going to use this morning. So I trust the words will be a blessing to you. And can we stand again as we sing?
Amen. Please be seated. And please turn in your Bible to Isaiah and the chapter 7. Isaiah and the chapter 7, please. Welcome all the boys and girls. Lovely to see you joining with us. We're going to read the first 16 verses of Isaiah chapter 7, and then we'll pray briefly before we speak. Lovely to see all the boys and girls, young ones with Bibles and trying to find the place. Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet. He lived at the time of Ahaz, you see. We were reading the scriptures earlier, young people. And uh, we were reading about the times of this king, Ahaz, that we're going to, to read again off now. And Isaiah the prophet, God's servant, he lived at the same time as King Ahaz. And he comes to speak with this king. And that's what we're going to read about now. We're going to read about this encounter between the prophet of God and wicked King Ahaz. Isaiah and the chapter 7 I'm beginning at verse 1. Try and follow as best you can, boys and girls. And it came to pass, the Word of God says, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Boys and girls, he was scared. The people were scared. That's all that means. And Ephraim there is just a word for Israel. It's the biggest tribe at that time. So Israel gets called Ephraim. So don't be confused. Verse 3, then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and shear Jashub thy son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed, and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of resin with Syria and of the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. And within threescore and five years, Shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people? And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord, thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, that's Isaiah, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a, a virgin shall conceive, 
and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall, be, shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Amen. Can we pray, everyone? Let's just bow briefly and ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we've been reminded today through the announcements again of great distress, of families in bereavement, of wailing voices all over Turkey and Syria. And we can't even, we can't really even imagine. We can't put ourselves properly and empathize with these people. And yet we pray for them. Oh, merciful God, bring relief. Bring thy word. Bring, oh God, life-saving, eternal life-saving messages to these people in great distress. Make us thankful for what we have as we go home to your comforts, as we go home to our secure houses, as we go home to our table spread, as we breathe pure air, as we have strength in our bones and our limbs. Oh God, help, help rescue efforts, help people in distress, we pray. Thou art the God, Lord Jesus, who went about doing good. Help all of your people there seeking to help in that situation. And Lord, in our own, in our own vineyard, we, we thank you for those who are in our midst, answers to prayer, recovering. We pray for Mr. Gillespie, Mrs. Garrity, Mrs. Boyd, all of these dear saints of God. May they know help and comfort today in their distress and in their discomfort and in their sickness. I take pleasure or I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. O oh God, bring a word in season. For Jesus' sake, for thine own glory, amen. Amen. Well, we're in Isaiah chapter 7, as I've said, and we're thinking about this encounter between Ahaz, the wicked king, and Isaiah, the prophet of God. My simple title this morning is Strong Consolation in Christ. Strong Consolation in Christ. I've borrowed the idea from Matthew Henry, and I'll come to him near the end. I simply want to set three thoughts before you this morning based upon the passage that we've read together. And I want to get straight into those thoughts. And the first one is simply the context. I think obviously it's important when we try to present a truth from God's Word, we try to understand the passage, we need to have some comprehension of the context, what exactly is going on. And that's why I read Second Chronicles 28, and that's why I took time to read this portion of Isaiah chapter 7. We're in the times of the divided kingdom. This is 700 years we're reading before Christ comes to Bethlehem. 700 years. I want to emphasize that. We're reading about a king who reigned 700 years before Christ came to Bethlehem, before the Messiah who was promised came as he was promised. The kingdom is divided. The people of God, the chosen people of God, that ethnic group, those Israelite people, there's an Israel kingdom in the north and there's a Judah kingdom in the south. And many of you know that the historical books, the ones that we read from in Chronicles and Kings and so on and Samuel, you know that those books focus on Judah. They focus on that part of the kingdom because, of course, through that part of the kingdom, Messiah will come. The ancestry of Messiah 
flows through the kings of Judah. And Ahaz is one of those kings. Now, I've already said he's the 12th generation from David. David is his father, according to Chronicles. David is his great, 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 great grandfather. He's related to David. There are eight generations to go until Messiah. And we have read in this historical account that at this particular time in Ahaz the king's experience, he's under attack. Now, if you, if you were following Chronicles, you notice there in verse 5 that it details that he'd already suffered attack from both the nation of Syria and the nation of Israel, his co-Israelites. Both of those nations had attacked separately and plundered and taken spoil and taken captives. But now we're reading about an occasion when both those nations actually gang up together in a confederacy against Judah again. And we've read here in Isaiah 7 and verse 1 that they come to Jerusalem and they seek to attack Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. But the, the Bible tells us in verse 1, they could not prevail. Ah, but these are the nations that have prevailed in the past. These are the nations that have robbed us in the past. And here they come again. And you can understand how they're afraid. The nation is afraid. But what I want you to see immediately in this context is the amazing grace of God. I want you to see that first and foremost. We've read in Chronicles about Ahaz, what kind of a person he was. Ahaz was a child sacrificer. Ahaz was a pagan worshiper. He mixed true religion with false religion, the worst kind of all idolatry. He pawned the very things that God had ordained to be used in the worship of him. He cut them up, and he sought to use them as bribery to get the king of Assyria's help. Don't confuse Syria and Assyria. Those are two different things. But in the passage we read, this is the kind of man he was. And it says in his distress in Chronicles, in his distress, when he was up against it, what did he do? Dear, dear Christian, what do you do? What do I do? Dear non-Christian, what do you do in the time of your distress? The Bible says that in the time of his distress, Ahaz did more evil against God. He reeled further against God. Turned his back on God. And this is the man. This is the man in Isaiah chapter 7 who is getting Isaiah the prophet. This is the man who God is sending a message of grace and mercy to. That man is getting a word from God. Do you see the amazing grace? The amazing grace for such an individual. Do you ever despair about our own royal family? And all of the dirt, dirty laundry that comes out in public, and all of the rumors, and all of these books that are written, and so on and so forth. I read this week that I think it's Prince Harry was consulting a medium after his mother's death, and about the power that he experienced from this medium. And what this medium told him about his mother and how she was with him and how she was favoring him and so on and so forth. Never despair. 
Man, if there's, if there's hope for a man like this, there's hope for any in the royal family. Be encouraged. And please don't miss the personal application. The amazing grace of God. Dear Christian, do you not sense, do you not have in some way or another just this identification with the fact that all of these sins that we can hear catalog against Ahaz, all of that potential is in my heart. All of that potential is in your heart. And you've been saved by the amazing grace of God. He didn't deserve the prophet Isaiah. He didn't deserve a message of grace and mercy. And you and I don't deserve it either. We don't. We don't. No matter what hardship you go through right now, dear Christian, and the thought perhaps comes across your mind, I I don't deserve this. I really don't think I deserve this. Look at, look at the things I've done. And you start to weigh it up in your mind and you start to do calculations. Men and women, if we believe the Bible, then we have to say, no, I don't deserve the grace of God. I, I don't deserve the mercy of God. I don't deserve anything from God. That's the truth of God's word. The amazing grace of God. Remember John Newton, the man who wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace? It seems as if from his writings... He never lost the wonder, never lost the wonder of how a wretch like him who was so cruel to his fellow human beings, enslaving people, beating them, hurting them, abusing them, how a man like that could be given a second chance, how a man like that could even be rescued out of a violent storm from the water and thrown back onto the ship. Who ever heard the like of it? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I don't know about you, dear Christian, this morning, but do you not struggle with this? You don't struggle trying to comprehend that. Boys and girls, we we live in a world that's all merit-based. You've just come from Sunday school, and if you're doing your verses and you're saying your Bible verses and your catechisms, well, you're going to get the prize. Isn't that right? You're going to get the packet of sweets. If you set good, and so it should be. There should be reward for good behavior and so on. And in your workplace, you get promotion if you work well. And in the schools, you get the grades and you get the certificates if you work well. And it's all merit-based. And therefore, isn't it such a struggle to figure this out that it's all grace? If you're not saved today, you can't earn it. <laughs> please, please, you can't earn it. You'll never earn it. It's only an offense to God to think you can earn it. And yet that's, that's the systems that we live in. It's all amazing grace. That's the context that I would like to bring before your attention. And maybe just before I leave this point of context, can I try and encourage parents? Ahaz is the son of Jotham. And Hezekiah is the son of Ahaz. Why is that encouraging? Again, emphasizing the grace of God. The Bible says that Jotham, Ahaz's father, did right in the sight of the Lord. Therefore, I have every reason to believe that Ahaz grew up in a godly home. But Ahaz turned out to be the most wicked king of Judah up until this point. And then the tables turn again. And who is the son of Ahaz? Hezekiah. May God help you as parents to bring up your children in the fear and nurture of the Lord. But please remember, please remember, what you do does not determine the salvation of the child. You cannot determine that. As much as you would like to and as much as you would like to put them into Christ, you can't do it. 
You can't do it. Jotham was a godly man. His son was Ahaz. Ahaz was a wretch, and his son was Hezekiah. And the Bible says that Hezekiah did that which was right in the Lord. It doesn't all come down to environment. Oh, God bless you, and may you have a blessed environment in your home full of the love of Christ. But the Bible would teach us even in that simple thought, in the context of Ahaz, salvation is of the Lord. Remember that discouraged parent. Salvation is of the Lord. We believe in the sovereignty of God, but sometimes we don't like the flip side of that. It's of the Lord. May the Lord bless you as you seek to continue to serve him as a parent. I want to say secondly, we've thought about the context. I want to say something about the center of what I think is the passage. Now, I think the center of the passage is the part where Isaiah is in conversation with Ahaz and he's relaying God's mind, and he's saying to Ahaz, you ask for a sign. Think of this now. Think of this. Not only is he coming with a message of hope, because Isaiah is telling him that these attacks from his enemies will not prosper. They're not going to work. The nation is going to be saved. What a great message of hope for Ahaz, the wicked man. And yet even more, Ahaz gets to command God. Think of it. Ahaz gets to command God. God says to him, you ask me for a sign. You command me. You give me an instruction. You can ask for a sign in the heaven or in the earth or in the sea, anywhere in the natural realm. You ask me for a sign, and I'll give you a sign. What for? To confirm the word that Isaiah is telling you. My word is coming to you through Isaiah the prophet, but you ask me for a sign. Go ahead, and I'll confirm. I'll give you double reason why you should be at peace, why you should trust me, why you should believe me. Verse 11, ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. I wonder, uh, are there any Christians here and have you ever asked the Lord for a sign? Maybe, maybe you're coming up, the men here that are qualified and you're on the list and you're asking yourself, should, should I stand? Should I stand? Maybe you're asking for a sign. Lord, give me a sign so I'll know whether to stand or not. A man was talking to just the other day. He was telling me that he'd come out of a denomination that he was in, and it took a long time. And uh, he struggled with it. Struggled with it. His wife was in the Sunday school, and, and yet there was, there was no message. There was no gospel. And she was giving the truth to the children, and she didn't want to leave, and so on. And I was just thinking about, you know, did he ask the Lord for a sign? to give him some help and confirmation. Dear Christian, do you think the Lord does that? You know your story of Gideon and the fleece. Have you ever asked God for a fleece? I have. You want to know the will of God. That's what you say. I want to know God's will for me. But remember, please, when, when, when a preacher or a speaker speaks about the will of God, three things could be in view. If I talk to you about the will of God, I could actually be referring to three different things. I could be referring to the will of God's decree, which is, as you can see in this passage, God says it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. God has decreed it and no one can stop it. Who can stay thy hand or say unto thee, what doest thou? Nobody can stop God. 
Herod thought he could stop God. Herod thought he could stop the Messiah. Herod thought if he slaughtered children, he could kill the Messiah. How futile. Young person, are you trying to fight against God? It's futile. It's futile. If God has decreed it, it's going to happen. Period. That's it. That's the will of God's decree. God decrees things, they happen. Nobody can stop them. Then there's the will of desire. God has a will of desire. Ten commandments, moral law. God's will. God sets before us. It's his revealed will. He says, here's what I'm like. The moral standards of the law, they show me. They show my holiness. They show my greatness. And that's what you have to be like if you want to be reconciled to me. But of course, we get a freedom to choose. And how many times have we chosen not to follow God's will, God's revealed will? I want, I want to know what God's will is. God has given us his will. You're all familiar with the last will and testament. Someone dies, and you, you, they make a last will and testament. And in your Bible, you've got the Old Testament, the Old Will, and you've got the New Testament, the New Will, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior and Son of God. And so, when we want to know God's will, well, God's will, we can say, is the will of decree. God says it, it's going to happen. The will of desire, he sets before us how we should live. And unfortunately, with our freedom of choice, we often choose not to. And then there's this third category, which is in view here in the passage, and that's what I will call the will of direction. The will of direction. Please, if you have your Bible there, will you turn to an important verse on this matter? I'd like to just hit this home before I go on to my third point. Um, Deuteronomy 29 and the verse 29. We're thinking about God actually saying to Ahaz, you ask me for a sign to confirm what's just been told you by the prophet. And I'm simply just trying to apply that to you and me. Deuteronomy 29 and the verse 29. Have you ever asked God for a sign, for a fleece, for something? You, you just, you're burdened, you feel God speaking to you about something, a direction you think that God wants you to go in, and as it were, you just, you're not 100% convinced. There's lots of things at stake. There's, there's things that you're going to have to sacrifice, or there's, there's consequences to these choices. These are big choices, maybe. And you're simply saying to the Lord, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? Can you help me, Lord? Is, is our God, is our God a God who's personal like that? Oh, I believe so. But I want to put down a caveat. I want to put down a spiritual health warning. Okay? This sign business is dangerous. And I want to, I want to show you why. Deuteronomy 29 and the verse 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. It's just simply highlighting, and Moses is highlighting to the people of God before they go into the promised land. There's a secret will of God. There's things that are going to happen today that are the will of God. They're going to happen, and you don't know what they are. There's going to be happening things that happen in your circumstances, and you don't know what they are. They're secret. They're secret to you. They're not secret to God, but they're secret to you. You don't know them. And yet, there are times when we want to know. We want to know, Lord. Lord, what is your secret will for me up ahead? What is your choice for me going this way and that way? And Moses says, the secret things belong unto God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us. And my spiritual health warning is simply this. 
This is the revealed will of God. And Moses says, this is where our focus should be. This is where our priority should be. This is where our concentration should be. And my fear is that many Christians sadly get infatuated with these signs, with these confirmations, and the focus and the priority is all wrong. And then they get into bother, and then they get into doubts and fears. It's almost as if we're mediums and spiritualists and those who look at horoscopes. It's the same phenomenon. Oh, I need to be secure in my future. I want to know what's happening. I'm not settled in my own heart. And we treat our Bible like a, like a crystal ball almost, or like a, a lamp which we rub as if God's a genie and he's going to come up with the magic sign. Now, don't get me wrong, don't misunderstand. I can't preach from a passage like this and say that it's not possible for you to have a sign from God. How could I do that? I'm just simply saying, beware. Please, dear Christian, beware. I knew a man, I revered him, he spoke well from the Word of God. He said that God had given him a sign when he got seriously ill that he was going to get better. God had given him a sign. He said God had spoken to him from his word and he was going to raise him up from his sick bed in the hospital and he was going to make him better. And everybody in the relatives was all, their hopes were all raised and it was wonderful. The Lord has spoken. It wasn't too long after that he died. And I spoke to one of his associates, somebody that would have worked with him, and he had told me some of these things. He had shared some of these things. And I just asked this dear brother, I said, dear brother, what are you thinking now? And he said, I'm confused. I'm confused. I don't know what to think. I was convinced that the man of God had a word from God. He got a sign from God, and he was going to be raised up, but he wasn't. There's another man I know, and he told me one time, and he's a professing Christian man, he said, I'm waiting on God to give me a sign for what job I should do. What job? What, what I should work at. He'd been out of work for seven years. And he's waiting for God to give him a sign and direct him to the place where he should work. And my response to that is simply, you don't need a sign. You don't need one. God has revealed in his word that if you are fit to work, Second Thessalonians, then if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. You don't have a right to eat if you don't give your God-given bodies and abilities to the work that God has designed you to do. Uh, that was the time when the people were not working because they thought the Lord was going to come back any minute. They just stopped working. And the apostles said, That's, no, you've got a body to work, you're healthy and well, get out to work and provide for your family. You see what I'm getting at? The supremacy of the Scriptures, the supremacy of the Word of God. This is a big book, men and women. God wants us to get into this book. How can I be so infatuated with a sign and the direction that I should go in when God has given me so much about how I should live and how I should reflect Him, and there's so much to think about and meditate on? My time is gone, almost. Can I just say that if you're not converted and you're waiting for a sign, you're not going to get one? You're definitely not going to get one. Why do I say that? Well, perhaps you're thinking to yourself, oh, if only God would make me better. Oh, if only God would change these circumstances. If only God would do something with that person, then I'll believe. Do you remember Luke 16? Luke 16, and the rich man, it says, the Bible says, he opens his eyes in torments, in hell, and he sees Abraham somehow, and he's separated from the paradise. And he says, oh, send Lazarus to my brothers so that they don't come here into this place of torment. 
And what does Abraham say? Abraham says they've got Moses and the prophets. They've got the Bible. And if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe if one should rise from the dead. So even though a man would rise from the dead, a resurrected man that you know had died and came into your midst, that would not convert anybody. That's what Abraham said. If they don't believe the Scriptures, nothing miraculous will change their mind. Men and women, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's an act of faith. May God give you grace to believe today. I have one more thought, and this is where I have to get to, and you'll I trust bear with me. I need to get to Matthew Henry and his comment. The last thing I want to say and talk about is the controversy. The controversy that I see in this passage. I don't know if this strikes you. Um, Obviously, this passage is used around the Christmas time when we're thinking about the incarnation of our Lord. But did you ever wonder when you read this passage or whenever it's read, How can the sign that God says he will give Ahaz, how would that help Ahaz? You ever wonder that? How that the prophecy of one to come, whose name would be Emmanuel, who would be born of a virgin, and we know that is a prophecy of Christ because Matthew says so in chapter 1 of his gospel. He quotes Isaiah. And Jesus is linked, Jesus of Nazareth is linked to the one prophesied. So, Ahaz the king is told there's going to be one born of a virgin, and that's going to happen 700 years from now. How does that help him in his problem? How does that help him with these kings that are up against him? How does that help him to save his neck against these kings, Rezin and Pekah, Syria and Israel? How on earth is that helping him? What's that got to do with him and his circumstances? Do you ever think like that? The Word of God comes to you, think, what good is that to my circumstances? How's that going to help me? That that has no relevance to me. Oh, God forgive us. God forgive us. Can you look at this passage here just before we finish? Notice carefully the words in Isaiah 7 and the verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign... Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, here's here's the problem. Here's the controversy that I see. Can you see it? For before the child shall know... What child? The the child that we're talking about? The, the, The Emmanuel child? The child born of a virgin? Before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good... The land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Now, the history books tell us, the history books of the Bible tell us that those two kings died shortly after this. Yeah. Assyria came, took over, one of the kings was killed, the other king was a conspiracy, and one of his servants killed him. But how, how can that be? How can the one who's promised 700 years from Ahaz, that's not going to happen, and, and, and these, do you see the problem? Matthew Henry gives two solutions, and that's how I get to Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry gives these two solutions, and I want to share them with you, because young people especially, don't let anybody convince you that the Bible is just a book of myths. It's just a book of old stories that has no relevance. I want you to have confidence in your Bible. This is the superstructure. The superstructure of our faith is built on this book. If you can pull away the foundations, what will the righteous do? If you have doubts and fears that this book could be wrong and there's mistakes in it, then you're not going to grow. What is the solution to this problem? Well, Matthew Henry says, number one solution, the child that's being referred to 
is not Messiah in verse 16, but is actually Isaiah's child. Did you notice that when we read the passage that God told Isaiah to go to the king with his child, Shear Jashub, verse 3, then said the Lord unto Isaiah, go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jashub, thy son. Take your son with you, and I'm going to believe he's an infant. And so can you picture the scene? Isaiah's there standing before the king, and he's got his little child. And if you know anything about Hebrew, and I know just a little bit about Hebrew from my days in Bible college, such a flexible language. Matthew Henry says, in verse 16, the word the could be legitimately translated this. Can you see it? So Isaiah has given him a prophecy of Christ, and he's talking about a child to come, and then he switches immediately to the child in his arms. I'm talking about a child to come, a miraculous child to come. Ah, but before this child, before this child comes to know good and evil, can differentiate between good and evil, before this child's about one years of age. Ah, the kings that you're worried about, they're going to be gone. I think that's a good solution. But here's a better solution. Matthew Henry again. Matthew Henry says that the clue to the best solution is the fact that when Isaiah rebukes the king, he doesn't call him by his name, but he, he uses the actual title of the whole people of Israel. You see in verse 13, he says, Hear ye now, O house of David. O Ahaz, you're a king. You're a federal head of a nation. You represent a whole people. You're, as it were, at the pinnacle of the hierarchy of the house of David. But more than that, you're in a great chain that links you back to David, your ancestor, and forward to Messiah. And dear Ahaz, you see your problems. You see your trouble in your own situation. He's saying, Ahaz, you are a link in a much bigger chain. Your troubles are no backyard scrap in a forgotten outpost of the universe. But, but they are the deliberate dealings of God to bring about the birth of Messiah. Isn't that wonderful? And Matthew Henry says this, the strongest consolations that we can have are those that are borrowed from Christ. Even Ahaz, 700 years before Christ, the best comfort and consolation that he can have is to realize that his circumstances are no isolated, remote happenings outside of God's knowledge, but rather, rather are part of the great purposes of God. Now, can you think that today? Can you think that today, dear Christian? In your problems and in your circumstances, that you too, you too are simply a link in a much greater chain. You too are a stone in a great spiritual edifice. There's something bigger going on in our circumstances than our own circumstances, but rather there's the kingdom of God. And you're part of that, dear Christian. You and your circumstances are part of that, and God is designing and making his will come to pass for the return of the Messiah. And you're part of that. Isn't that a strong consolation? Listen, I could come to you this morning and I could say, you see all that problem with the Brexit and the protocol? It's all fixed. And you would say, oh, that's wonderful, that's great, but next year it could be back again. I could say to you, do you know that abortion bill that we're praying against? It's all changed and everything's overturned and we would rejoice and so we should. But that's all temporal and it could change again. And the things that we would put our comfort and consolation in, if they're only temporal, they fade away. And Matthew Henry is saying, and I'm trying to say, that Ahaz was given a message and prophecy of Christ the Messiah, which was 700 years to come, because he was part of that whole story that God was unfolding. 
and so are you. Please remember, dear Christian, that your status in him never changes. His love for you never changes. Your worth and value to him never changes. You'll always be a son and daughter. You'll always be a joint heir of the kingdom. So go out this week, and you can face that situation tomorrow in work. You can face that problem in the family. You can face that operation that's coming up. Take your strongest consolations from Christ, what he has done, who he is, and who you are in him. Thank you for your patience. Let us pray. O Lord, we praise thee. Who are we? We're just dust. We're just fallen creatures. Oh, we had so much in Adam, and yet we fell in him. But we thank you we rise again in Christ. Just the way our sins are imputed to us through Adam, so your righteousness, Lord Jesus, is imputed to us through your work, the second Adam, the one who could keep the law, the one who could transfer that righteousness to us. Bless every dear Christian. May they be encouraged this week. May they be encouraged as they go forward into the new week. Whatever they have to face, whatever resins and picas are against them, whatever besieging they feel, may they know the same strong consolations in Christ. May we always fix our comforts there where Christ never changes. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the agape love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be the portion of everyone in this gathering, now and evermore. Amen.